0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This 266th episode of the podcast finds me wading into, or more appropriately, paddling into brand new water. Because although I've talked about fly fishing from watercraft here and there across the last 265 episodes, I don't think I have devoted an entire podcast episode to watercraft for fly fishing. So that does two things. One, it goes to show there's a very wide range of topics that are appropriate to this conversation, the Korean culture of fly fishing. Secondly, it it shows that uh, once you kind of open a door down a long hallway, there's lots of different rooms that may branch off of it because I, I have to tell you, as I've been thinking about this episode, thinking, you know, this could really be an entire series. You could talk about canoes for a number of, of podcasts, how to use canoes, how to select a canoe, um, with the virtue of canoe versus the kayak or the other way around. There's a lot of things that you could talk about. So I say that to not only introduce the podcast, but introduce the fact that this is going to be a an initiatory, uh, first step into what may very well be a number of podcasts over the coming months and years regarding watercraft, Uh, because they play an integral role in fly fishing and using them and knowing which one to use when can be helpful. So again, this is meant to be kind of that first step, this launching point into thinking about this. Uh, if you've never thought about it before, if you thought about it and you maybe want to hear somebody else's thoughts on it. And if, if, you know, you're thinking about getting something for this next season, what your options might be uh, secondly as far introduction you know introduction goes uh, I am not going to be talking about every option out there I'm t- kind of drawing an arbitrary line at drift boats. I'm not going to be covering drift boats. Obviously, the drift boat is the choice for most anglers fishing larger water, but there's a lot of, you know, you can talk about jet boats, you can talk about bass boats, you can talk about big pontoon boats. Uh, you Can you fly fish off of those? Absolutely. So, but, but I'm not covering them today. Doesn't mean I won't talk about them in the future because I've fished out of fly fish out of all of those. Um, but for today's purposes, I'm talking kind of more of the, the layman's watercraft. Not to say that a, you know, weekend warrior can't own a drift boat. They certainly can, but I'm talking about things that are small. Smaller, probably a little bit more affordable and a little bit easier to use. Uh, so that's where I'm drawing my arbitrary line when it comes to watercraft in today's episode. So we'll start with the smallest. We'll start with the least expensive. We'll start with um, maybe even the easiest to use, and that is an inner tube. Yeah, you can fly over a shot of an inner tube. It could be as simple as that black tire that you would float down the river with. But there's a very good chance that you're going to want something a little bit more substantial than that. And so there's a few different ways you can find these inner tubes. Uh, If you've ever been on, uh, uh, well, been in a Bass Pro or Cabela's catalog, you've seen these. Um, And they're either circles, kind of like you hop on the inside. I wouldn't hop, especially if you were wearing uh, fins, right? Uh, Or they're horseshoe-shaped, and you kind of back into them. And they'll have a bottom, some sort of like... um, Uh, Almost like a a hammock or 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 something like that for you to sit in uh, that supports you, but then your your legs can dangle freely. The uh, horseshoe shaped ones usually have some sort of shelf or net or something in front of you, both to serve as a workstation uh, and a stripping basket, as well as they used to have a ruler on them so you can measure your fish. They're really looking out for you and your your confidence, right? Um, But why would you use something like this? Well, the primary reason why you would use an inner tube style watercraft is to access places you couldn't access on foot. I mean, they're incredibly convenient. They're very easy to use. You can go to your pond and walk right into the water like you would with waders. But whereas you would have to stop when you got to your chest, you could just keep on going And, and, and it, when you're using an inner tube. So it's as easy as walking in. Because the things don't weigh a whole lot. Um, they deflate. They fit in the back of your car. They fit in your trunk. They can fit in the bed of your truck. Uh, once you pump them up, and I would always recommend finding something motorized or, or a foot pump, at bare minimum. Uh, then you can just walk into the water. Now, here in New England is a prime example of why you'd want something like this. And I'll give you a a southerly example also uh, here in a minute, if I can remember. But here in New England, we have a lot of very deep ponds, whether it be kettle ponds down in Massachusetts, these like perfect circles uh, that get very, very deep, or uh, up in the White Mountains, we have very, very steep drop-offs. But we also have uh, giant pine trees that are, and dense underbrush that go right up to the banks of these ponds. So consequently, if you want to fish these drop-offs where trout and other fish are going to be cruising, you're not going to really have a great way to access them because you can't cast from the shore because you have nothing behind you. And even if you take one step into the water, there's a very good chance it's going to be a precipitous drop-off. So having a watercraft like this On a small pond, something that even a small kayak might be overkill. This allows you to get out, get into the middle and cast into the banks. Or you can basically walk along the banks. And if you need to, then you are just floating out there and and making your casts. Uh, They are very unobtrusive. You know, it's remarkable how much fish will tolerate when you are floating past them as opposed to when you are walking past them. I don't understand it completely. Um, I'm not sure how a, uh, a guy in a float tube is much less of a threat than a guy waiting, but apparently that's what it is to fish. So using an inner tube, whether it be the circle or the horseshoe, allows you to get around these small waters and small still waters very easily. And they will allow you some, some benefits to casting also in, in the sense that you're a little higher up instead of wading super deep, you're kind of up to your waist in the water. Uh, they'll have a backrest which can give you some support. Uh, they'll have places for you to set in your arms so when you're stripping a lot, um, or if you're fishing nymphs or streamers, like I said, stripping, uh, you have a place to rest your elbows. It gives you a little bit of uh, comfort and relaxation, some storage options, uh, You know, places for your fly box places for your tools, all that sort of stuff. Um, now, these are, in my opinion, limited to still water. Uh, I'll talk about the next step up and how the, the, the next step is kind of where, where you want to go if you want to go from still water to a current. But although they are easy to maneuver and navigate with the couple of kicks from thinned feet uh, in a still water situation, Getting into a current is not ideal for an inner tube. You're not going to have the kind of control and the, the harder you kick, the more you spin. So, uh, although you, you certainly could go out in a slower river with these things or out into the ocean with them, I, I wouldn't recommend it. There's definitely better choices. Um, Another option I mentioned, uh, a more suddenly option, is is I used one of these down south uh, when things were really, really muddy. It was almost swampy. And we have that up here in the north, too. Um, But this allows you to kind of get out in the current, get out into deeper water, and move around that way without having to uh, walk through mud and potentially get really stuck. So it's a great option, a very inexpensive option. To. The next step up would be a small pontoon. So when, I'm not talking about the pontoon boats like you see out on the big reservoirs and lakes, you know, that have a uh, um, a big metal floor, two giant metal pontoons, you know, and, and kind of a party bar situation. I'm talking about a small pontoon boat. And these, uh, these basically look like two pontoons <laughs> with a, uh, with a frame and a small seat. So once again, very small, very convenient, very lightweight, relatively inexpensive. The kind of thing that I had one and I could fit it in the trunk of my Saturn SC1 coupe. Um, so this was a, a long time ago. when so I was in college and my pontoon would with a full size seat, rod holders, uh, some some tackle storage and two pontoons that were inflatable would fit in the, the trunk of my little uh, two door uh, coupe. Um, These are great because one, you have oars, so you're able to maneuver very quickly and uh, you're able to maneuver with a lot more precision, but it also gives you the opportunity of doing everything you're doing in those pontoons while at the same time being able to navigate current a little better. Um, I will say with these, one of the drawbacks is they often ride really high. So I actually returned mine after using it for a season because I didn't like how when I cast, I spun around. It wasn't only until after I returned it that I realized that had I had just taken some of the air out of those pontoons, I probably would have sat lower in the water and I would have gotten a lot more out of uh, fishing with this pontoon boat. But These are also inexpensive. There's options for these that you can ride low in the water so that you can use your feet to kick in fins uh, if you want. And you also have the option of using oars. Some of them also have some rudder drive systems, but they give you an option for moving around water where, one, you're, you're very you have a lot of maneuverability, but you're also higher up off of the water. So if uh, you like the ability to see a little bit better, you're not going to have that in a kayak. You're not going to have that canoe fishing out of a pontoon like this really gets you maybe 16, 18 inches off of the water in a way that being kind of below the surface of the water in a pon- in an in a inner tube wouldn't give you and being almost level with the surface of the water in a kayak or only a few inches above the surface of the water canoe wouldn't give you. So that's one of the benefits of these. They're also easy to get. In and out of. You're basically sitting down onto a seat. So if you use it to navigate from one part of the river to the next, and you're hopping out of it, then you're really only having to kind of back into it and sit down. So that's an excellent option. So uh, again, I'm talking about the small pontoons. These are, are are. maybe four or five, six feet long at, at maximum with a little frame on top of it. Different than the larger rafts, which I'll, I'll talk about at the end, because I'm kind of doing this price-wise. I'm not throwing prices out there because the, there's such a wide range with all these products, but, uh, inner tube is easiest, smallest, least expensive. Uh, and then these small pontoon boats, uh, the small kind of pontoon style inner tubes, um, are the next. And then of course we have kayaks. Now, when it comes to kayaks, you have an absolute infinite number of possibilities. All right. That's a little bit of hyperbole, but there are so many options that are out there. I have really come to love and enjoy both sit on top kayaks and sit inside contacts kayaks. They both have their place. Um, I find that a sit on top kayak. So sometimes you know, they're generalized as ocean kayaks, so totally flat, they don't have a, a place for you to kind of put your legs down inside of, um, they have a lot of benefits one, because they can be easier to get in and out of, they may not be as stable, but you are going to be sitting a little higher on them because you are not under the surface of the water. And also you're able to kneel on them a little bit easier. You can't do that very well with a sit on top a sit inside contact, contact kayak, especially if it is a one man, uh, kayak. So there's a couple of things that, uh, that I look for when it comes to a kayak. You and this is again where we could talk about this for multiple uh, podcasts. And I'm certainly not the kayak or the canoe or the pontoon expert, but I've again owned, fished out of all of these things. Um, you are going to be low to the water. So that is something to consider. Uh, if you're used to having a good vantage point, you're gonna have to get used to it. Um I find that fishing in warm water, it's not as big of a deal. When fishing for trout, it it is a more of a learning curve. Uh so that's kind of the the first thing I'd I'd say with that. But you have to pick length. Now when you talk about the length of a kayak, well length and width of a kayak. And this is this is true for canoes also. But the length and width of a kayak offers you all sorts of pros and cons. Of course, the smaller a kayak is, the easier it is to maneuver, both getting up on top of your car and getting off of your car, getting down to the water and getting inside. But similarly, it's going to be very easy to move when you're out on the water. So every time you cast, you're going to move a smaller kayak more. With every paddle stroke, you're going to move that thing from side to side more than if it's a longer kayak or a wider kayak. So that's always the the math that you have to do when you're picking a kayak. Now in an ideal world, you'd have multiple options and I'd actually this is my suggestion because this is what I did. I went to a camp. So I have a relationship with a a couple camps up here just from, from work and knowing people. And I went out and I tried a bunch of different styles of kayaks. And I tried fishing out of really long ones. I tried fishing out of really short ones. I tried uh, fishing out of sit on top. I started fishing out of sitting inside them. And I found what kind of my favorite was. Now, to be fair, different situations call for different, different things. Um, kayaks are very small and very maneuverable and very lightweight are great until you get some wind. And now all of a sudden you're getting spun around. So there's going to be trade-offs and there's never a perfect kayak, but you can get into a very serviceable kayak. That's easy to lift, easy to fish out of easy to get inside of for, for short money. And it's going to give you all sorts of options, fishing still water and fishing water with a current. Uh, so kayaks are great. They give you just the ability to get from point A to point B in very, very fast time. I would say the fastest, and again, this is because of how much water it takes on, where it sits, its shape. It's going to be the fastest option of all the boats on this list. Even though you only have one paddle, um, and you're going side to side, it's going to move very quickly through the water. So if you have to go distances and then hop out and fish, a kayak might be a really good option can give you all sorts of storage options that you that you have. And again, there's even kind of fishing kayaks, not kind of fishing kayaks, they are fishing kayaks that give you the option of like a pedal drive with a rudder that you can control all with your feet so your hands are free. And again, when I talked about scaling things up, you can scale these up to ridiculous levels. I talked to uh, a gent from Um, Old Town Canoes up in Maine, and they have uh, under their umbrella, they have, um, I think it's uh, Minn Kota engines, if I am not uh, mistaken, Um, and, and they have ways that you can, through GPS, uh, hook up a little uh, uh, trolling motor to your kayak and pick a point. And even in the ocean, this will keep you perfectly still. I mean, again, you're, you're talking thousands of dollars here, but you're also talking about something that's quiet, something that is uh, going to be easy to maneuver, easy to pick up, light. You're not going to get that with a $2,000 boat, but you can with a, you know, $2,000, $2,500 $2, $2, kayak. But again, that's, that's a little bit more expensive than the $500 kayak that you go pick up at Walmart or at, uh, at Bass Pro Shop. So you have a lot of options here and a lot of variables to go over, of course, many more than we can talk about on this podcast, but maybe talking about fishing kayaks more in depth in the future. So anyway, uh, inner tubes, uh, small pontoons, uh, kayaks. And the next step up is canoes. So a canoe is going to offer all the stability that a kayak doesn't have, but a canoe is also going to lose all the portability and ease of use that a kayak has, Uh, particularly when you're not in the water. When you're in the water, they're phenomenal. Uh, When you're in the water, they make for all sorts of easy access, storage aplenty, and you get a nice straight line as you move through the water. Uh, One of the things that I do find in canoes that I don't have in a kayak is that you make a lot more noise in a canoe. This could be because of the style of the paddle. This could be from just all the space that you have and that you fill up. But uh, you're not going to be as stealthy or as sneaky um, in a canoe. But the canoe that I'm fishing out of, you can start to stand up in these things. Um, I have a canoe that I bought to be particularly wide so i could fly fish out of but also so that my kids could be in it and i wouldn't have to freak out because two of them are leaning over the side of the of the boat Um, so you're going to start to get that sort of benefit out of a canoe Uh, canoes are great because they can handle a lot of stuff so if you have a big bag of gear you can throw that in there you can move it around you can kneel you can sit on a seat you can again stand up if you have the right kind of boat um, but they are going to be heavier. They are going to be a little more unwieldy to get off the top of your vehicle or, or, or and into the water. But when you're in them, they are incredibly stable and very, very uh, secure. They're not going to give you the same sort of maneuverability that a kayak is, but they're also not going to spin around as much as you cast or as the wind hits them. So this is where you see kind of you're jumping from something that is very easy to use from a kind of getting in the water, moving around the water standpoint to something that is going to be a little bit more work, but it's going to give you a lot of stability. And that's precisely that what happens with a canoe. Uh, Other benefits that you can have with canoes, my particular uh, model that I have, have. It has oar locks in it. So although I more often than not am fishing uh, and, and paddling using and just a traditional paddle, um, I can also lock two paddles in and use them as oars and effectively have a very, very, um, you know, harbor freight version of, uh, of a drift boat in, in my canoe. And this is great for fishing, for fishing in current, for moving side to side in river, for kind of hanging into a spot or backing up into a bank if I want to fish a spot in a way that using just a traditional paddle in the, in the canoe wouldn't allow me to do. So canoes, excellent option, very classic. Again, you, you have the same dynamics with kayaks as far as length and width and the benefits and, and the pros and cons that you have with 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 those also. The last thing I really want to touch on, again, there's a couple things we could talk about. We could talk about john boats. We could talk about some other kind of recreational watercraft, like paddle, paddle boards, things like that. But the last one I want to touch on today um, that really fits into this kind of uh, direct line from the inner tube up to this kind of boat is the inflatable raft. So the inflatable rafts have taken the world by storm, uh, the fly fishing world by storm, which I guess is kind of like a, um, a, a small, uh, you know, fluffy hail or something like that. Uh They are great because they give you the benefits of that big boat without the cost, without the trailer, without the ability to know how to drive a trailer and without the the weight um, and so these inflatable rafts they come in a variety of shapes and sizes uh, some don 't have bottoms, some have rigid bottoms, uh, but what they allow you to do is they allow you to be up off of the water, they give you the oar option, maybe even a two or three man option. And they can break down and fit inside of a vehicle or go up on the top of a hatchback or even a a large car or like a station wagon. Uh, They're going to cost more money than everything on this list with the exception of a really, you know, rigged up and uh, accessory out kayak or canoe. Uh, But they're going to give you the option of floating big water with some, you know, I'm not going to say that you can necessarily navigate really you know, legitimate white water uh, right off the bat, but they're going to allow you to take some kind of water on some bigger trout rivers and bigger, uh, bass rivers that you wouldn't be able to take with, with a canoe or with a kayak, at least doing it safely. It also gives you the option of being able to, again, sit in the current, go side to side in the river. It allows one person to, to, to really control that boat while somebody else fishes. It gives you the option of carrying that cooler and that tent and all the gear, multiple rods that you need. It is going to come with a price tag, but it's not going to be nearly as much as the big boat, the trailer and the truck that's able to pull it. And the skill set that 's required to pull that that vehicle and back it into the water and all that sort of stuff, and they're getting to the day the, the point these days where they're almost bulletproof you think, oh man I want to spend thousands of dollars on what 's effectively a rubber raft well they 're that but they 're made with some incredibly high quality components and materials and you're able to customize them. most of the brands that that i 'm familiar with talking to the guys that that run these companies they 're really happy to work with you to create something that fits how you fish and where you fish if you fish. You know, wide, slow rivers, you fish narrow, fast rivers, if you fish still water, they'll be able to put something together for you. And again, a lot of the times you break these things down and they fit in the back of a minivan, uh, certainly in the bed of a pickup truck, or you can just have the thing together and on the back of a trailer, a lot of versatility with a price tag, but it's the kind of price tag where if you want to fish, but you don't want to invest in a drift boat, it's a great option. I know a lot of East coast guys really have embraced these because of the diversity of the water that they fish out here. Um, but it, it's definitely a great option. I actually sat on one the other day and I was talking to somebody in their shop. So, uh, this is again, a cursory introduction. If one of these things, one of these, these styles of, of watercraft interested you, uh, and you want more information from me, cause like I said, uh, owned fished out of virtually all of these, uh, would love to, to give you some, some input on, on my thoughts more, particularly, uh, if you're looking about specific brand recommendations, happy to share that as well. Matthew at castingcross.com. You can reach out to me that way. Uh, you can leave a comment on the, uh, on the website as well. But, uh, like I said, I anticipate over the coming months and certainly over the coming years, talking about these watercraft more in depth and just kind of the this fly fishing specifics. I know I scattered those throughout this episode, but, uh, it'd be great to kind of talk about that more in detail as a service to you, the angler, particularly if you are new in fly fishing and you want to add some watercraft to your arsenal of gear. This week on the website, the first article is called Costa's Sunglasses King, Costa's Sunglasses King. So if you have been on social media at all, if you pay attention to the fly fishing or outdoor industry at all, you know that Costa came out with their King Tide sunglasses uh, this year with much fanfare, uh, much acclaim, and they are some pretty amazing sunglasses. So to start off why are they so special they're so special because they use costa's glass that is my favorite reason to wear costa sunglasses is because their glass lenses are lightweight and incredibly clear and quite durable so i'm a huge fan of costa from that point but the king tide and they come in two different models there's an eight and a six one is more flat front more is, one is more of a wrap they both have their place they both feature clip on side shields which you might think look dorky but i really don't care how i look when i'm getting all of that light cut out uh, from from my peripheral vision uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of that but they incorporate all of the features that uh, costa has rolled out in the last few years from their pro series and some of their other new glasses um, so sweat drain channels adjustable nose pads um, these have hinges that actually extend a little bit uh, make, to, to make the the arms of the glasses go out from 90 a little bit, so you can press them really onto your face really tightly. They have um, uh, all sorts of bells and whistles. One of the cool things I like is the hooding on these glasses, the, the rubber on the top and the bottom, uh, allows these glasses to be non-skid, so you can set them on your dashboard, uh, and they're not going to slide around, which, again, if you uh, want to take care of your expensive sunglasses, this is the way to do it. So I give some more thoughts on the, the King Tide um, from my last few months of wearing them in this article called Costa Sunglasses King. Wednesday's article, another gift giving idea article. Another gift giving idea article. That doesn't sound right. You know what I'm talking about. Ideas for giving gifts. This one is tongue in cheek. So this is about some fly fishing gifts you could give if you have to go to a white elephant or a Yankee swap. Real quick, uh, the right way to do the, the, the Yankee swap or the white elephant gift, in my humble opinion, this is, this is for free. You don't have to pay for this at all. You draw numbers. Number one goes, they get to pick a gift from the pile. Number two goes, what they get to do is they either take the gift that number one took or they pick a gift from the pile. When someone goes to the pile, they don't get to touch the present. When they touch it, it is theirs. So say there's 10 people. The 10th person up, they get either get to pick that last present in the pile or they get to pick one thing from everybody else. When something gets stolen from somebody, they can now take something from somebody else or to go back to the pile, and it continues and such. The same gift may may not uh, go go back and forth in the same in the same round. The, I'm I have very strong convictions about how to play this game. So that's the right way to play it. Maybe your family does it the wrong way. That's fine. I'm not out here to police that. I'm just out here to give the best opinions. So eight fly fishing gift swap ideas. Things that you could bring to your travel limited banquet. You could bring to your uh, fly tying night. Things like that. This week's recommendation on the podcast, following up on my humor article, is a legitimate uh, example of humor, and it is the book uh, Three Men in a Boat by Jerome K. Jerome. This was written in 1889, but uh, if you like British humor, uh, this will absolutely beat up your alley. It is incredibly witty. Um, and again, if you are a fan of, of literature, then this is no surprise to you. Uh, you, you are familiar with uh, Jerome's work. But Three Men in a Boat is, it's not a fishing book, but it is a, a boating book. It kind of, in a derivative sense, and uh, talking about being on the water. And in fact, there's one passage in, I believe, eighth or the ninth chapter uh, that talks about someone hassling the boaters about uh, being on a private stretch of water. And uh, this could be the kind of thing that would appear in fly fishing writing today. And it would have you in stitches because of how accurate it is. But uh, this is often ranked as one of the, the funniest books ever written or, you know, one of the best examples of comedy literature. Uh, but it is a relatively brief read. You can read it in snips and uh, you're not going to like miss on the storyline. Uh, just very, very funny. And I would say an angler, an outdoorsman would absolutely appreciate uh, some of the, the the aspects of Jerome K. Jerome's Three Men in a Boat. So uh, if you want to be reminded of what this book is and who wrote it, you can uh, go check out uh, the show notes for this podcast on its page at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. <laughs>